It's the show the establishment warned you about. Yes, that's right. It's the Dr. Tommy Show. We're glad you're here. This is Friday edition of the show. Available on Rumble Live and also available on any of the podcasting download sites and streaming sites such as Spotify and iHeartRadio. Although the other day I was trying to look at iHeartRadio and then update my latest show for some reason. I don't know why that was. Sometimes they do that. I don't know. We upload it to SoundCloud. I upload it to SoundCloud. It's supposed to get picked up by all the different ones. But anyway, we can be seen on any of the podcasting platforms, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, Spotify, iHeartRadio. Uh, this is a good day for us today uh, because tomorrow is our party for going away party for the oldest child, Madison. She is going away to vet school and it's going to be a fun day. We're going to have a party, a pool party and a send off. And then she'll be heading off to uh, Gainesville, Florida to go to UF vet school where she will undoubtedly do very well. Um, she was a Florida Gulf Coast university as an undergrad and this is the only person i've ever known do this in a legitimate degree when i say legitimate i don't mean to cause offense but you know what i'm talking about anyway she uh she got a 4.0 in her undergrad in biology it's pretty amazing and uh, she got accepted to two met two of the vet schools she applied to the third one she applied to only accepts oh like 20 people out of state and uh, most of those 20 people, I'm sure, are paid off uh, or, you know, legacies and boosters and all the other such nonsense. Anyway, she got accepted to Auburn and then she also got accepted to UF and now she's going to go to UF and she doesn't know what type of vet she wants to be for sure, but she wants to be a vet. And that's good because initially when we first got married, Tracy and I, so Tracy is uh, Madison's mother, obviously. I'm her stepfather, and uh, she was going to go to uh, medical school, she thought. This was when we first got married. Well, maybe not after we first got married. This is when we got married, and she was going to go off to uh, school, and she was thinking about becoming a, a, a doctor, a medical doctor. And I told her, I said, look, you have to understand that if you're going to be a medical doctor, me speaking from experience, that you're going to have to do a lot more non-medical stuff than you might want to deal with and you have to get know that going into it otherwise you're going to end up uh, be being in this situation where you don't want to be in and then regretting it and so she said yeah okay that's fine she goes well i'll choose a i'm going to choose a specialty that doesn't really have to deal with insurance a lot so and i, I think i like the rush she at that time she was watching er and she wanted to she wanted to do ER medicine because it sounds like she said she just wanted to say uh, I forgot what it was like either shock them or give them epinephrine or whatever the case was you know the stuff they do on these shows anyway she said that that's what she wanted to do she was going to do ER yeah so I, so I talked to her about it and I said well here's how here's how medical school goes medical school you go to medical school it's four years and I told her I said. And it can be very, very depressing, not so much because of the school itself. The school itself, as much as school as, as can be, is actually interesting to me. I mean, it was the only time during uh, school outside of a few classes on undergrad where I really cared about anything that I was learning about. Um, I learned the other stuff, but I didn't really care about it. I didn't you know, want to learn about it, organic chemistry and things like that, physics. Isn't it's kind of neat to know, but it's not something you ever want to read about on your own time. But only in medical school did I get to the point where I was like actually interested in stuff I was learning about. 
and more so than I had in undergrad. Anyway, so I told her, I said, but it's not all about, you know, you're, you're going to go to medical school, but the people you're around, they're very, um, people in med school, uh, a lot of them are very, um, uptight, anxious, and already in, in school, you already deal with those people who are anxious. Well, just take the most anxious people that you knew in undergrad and uptight high, 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 strung, and put them in a group together, put a hundred of them together. And that's what you, excuse me, that's what you have in medical school. So I told her, I said, that's it. And then the other thing is in medical school, people are very, uh, cutthroat. They're, they're, they're competitive against each other because they want to, uh, they want to shine. They want to be number one in their class. That's a big thing in medical school is your class rank, you know, and uh, one of the ways you get a good class rank is to beat, to beat your, um, to beat the people in your class as far as test grades and things of that nature. So you're, you're dealing with people who are anxious, people who are high strung. You put them in this, uh, this cauldron, you mix them all together, and then you throw in the fact that now they have to uh, be competitive against their fellow classmate so that they can get a higher crash class rank than them. So then they can in turn get a, a residency spot that they wanted. So I told her, this is what you're going to look at. I mean, and I said, emergency medicine is a popular residency. So people are going to want to be in emergency medicine. So you're going to have to be near the highest rank of your class in order to get that. And so I, as I was telling her this, I could see her face kind of it went from a smile to like, Oh, you call it a, ne a neutral face. And then finally, I think it didn't take, but maybe three days. And then she had already decided, screw it. I'm not going to be a doctor, a medical doctor. I'm going to be an animal doctor. Anyway, that's just a short story. And we want to say congratulations to Madison for going to vet school soon. And it's a, uh, it's going to be great for her. And I think she'll do real well. You know, speaking of medical school, medical uh, the medical practice. So I'm a concierge doctor, as y'all know, if you don't know, I am a concierge doctor. So what does that mean? So concierge medicine is where you, uh, in my practice, we don't take insurance, right? Some concierge doctors take insurance and then they make you pay a fee called a, uh, whatever you call it, membership fee. And then they give you what we give them already. So let me, let me just be more basic in our practice. If you call us, uh, you'll call us on the phone and we'll answer the phone. And if you, if we don't answer the phone, we'll call you back right away. Additionally, if you try to contact us, you can text us or call us directly on the cell phone or email us. And then when you come to the office, there's not going to be any waits. Uh, when you call our office and say, I need to be seen, you're not going to be told, oh, it's two weeks out. Uh, you're, you're not going to be put on a phone tree. So really what we've done is we've eliminated all of the things that most people hate about going to the doctor, the waiting, the impersonal contact, the, uh, the, the incompetence of, of staff, all that's been eliminated. So in turn, our patients pay us directly and we don't take insurance. The reason I only reason, not the only reason, the major reason that I decided to be a concierge doctor was so I did not have to take insurance. That's the major reason. I didn't want to have anything to do with it. I didn't give a damn about any of the codes. I didn't give a damn about asking uh, insurance companies if I could do this or if I could do that. I didn't want to get anybody's approval to treat a patient. And I didn't want the time constraints and the volume overload that you have to have with insurance practice. So if you're an insurance practice and you're a family doctor, you're seeing at least 30 patients a day on average, I would guess. I don't even know how much it is now, but I would say on average... 25 to 30 patients, maybe more, maybe a little bit less. But anyway, 25 to 30 patients a day. You're churning them out. You're churning and burning. You are uh, doing all kinds of other bullcrap behind the scenes, such as 
prior authorizations for insurance companies. Uh, you, you, you're, you're dealing with the corporate people who own the practice that you work at because most all doctors now are owned by or work in a practice that's owned by a corporation, whether it's a hospital corporation or a big physician's group or whatever. So you're dealing with emails from these people who are, who are telling you how to do your job and you're not doing your job right and your your internet scores are sucking and uh, you need to do better. And, and, and then all the time they are getting paid off your back. So they're the administrative paper pushers and they're they're here, you know, fielding these calls and checking the internet scores. And then they're, they're the ones that are going to get paid based off of because you're the only one that makes them. I mean, you make the money. You're the doctor. If it wasn't for the doctor and the patient, there would be no money generated. I don't care how awesome of a healthcare administrator you are or how awesome of a medical practice manager you are or, or how badass you are at uh, marketing medical practices. If it wasn't for the doctor and the patient, you wouldn't make a damn dime. And so that's that's the bottom line. But they get treated. Doctors get treated like they're basically idiots. Uh, they, they, they're made to, you know, I was I used to work for his uh, company. Uh, just leave it at that. I used to work for a corporation, right? And uh, I remember one time, I was my, my contract was due to come up, and I was, it was about the time when I was starting to think about I was going to go out on my own. But the contract was coming up due, and I said, "Well, maybe I need one more year. I want one more year to save." It's kind of like having a baby. Um, if you wait until you can afford to have a baby, or you wait until the time's right, you're never going to have a baby. Because it's just it just doesn't happen, and you just at some point you got to take the plunge or the plunge takes you or whatever the case is. Anyway, so I was going to say I'm going to wait one more year. I'm going to wait one more year. So like I said, it's like having a baby. You're going to wait until the perfect time, right? Anyway, my contract was coming up. It was due in July, so I was in May. I said uh, I'm going to uh, you know I want to re up my contract, but I don't know if they want to re up because of whatever the case is. I haven't heard anything, and say so they said okay, well. Uh, you can, um, you can re up, uh, I've already talked to the administrator and you can re up. And, uh, the thing is, is they want you to take a 15% pay cut. And I just, well, this is interesting because already you're not very well paid. Uh, you're the family doctor, family doctors get paid the least. I think pediatrics may be getting paid a little bit less than family doctors. So really the, probably the two most important doctors, uh, that you can have a pediatrician, kids doc family doctor doctor for the family they get paid the least I'll save that though because i want to talk about that a little bit later anyway so i said uh yeah uh yeah i'm not going to do that and uh, she said well you know take your time think about it and let us know what you think i said well you can let them you can let them know what i think right now and it reminds me of the time in uh godfather part two when senator uh the senator from arizona uh said to uh, michael corleone he goes you know uh I want your answer by the morning. And then he's talking to Michael Corleone. He's basically telling Michael Corleone that, you know, he's going to extort Michael Corleone because Michael Corleone wants to build a casino out in California. I'm sorry. He wants to buy casinos in Las Vegas and he's going to buy these uh, casinos that are already owned, run by somebody else. He's going to take them over. He's a mafia. He's going to take them over. And so the senator says, uh, you know, uh, you know, you can, you can have the casino, you can have the license because there was going to be a problem with the license, but it was going to cost him. It's going to cost him a lot of money. And he basically was trying to put Michael Corleone over the over the barrel. And Michael Corleone says, he goes and he goes and you can do this and don't ever talk to me. And the senator says to Corleone, and I want your answer in the morning. And then he starts to walk off. And then Michael Corleone says, uh, Senator, 
you can have my answer now if you if you like it. And the senator turns around. He smiles because he thinks he's going to say, okay, I, I capitulate. He goes, my offer is this, nothing. Not even the cost for the gaming license, which I would appreciate if you pay for yourself personally. Anyway, he walks away. So I told them, basically, they can go take a flying, you know, where. And I said, take the 15% pay cut and stick it where the sun don't shine, essentially, is what I told them. And uh, that was the end of that. So basically, all of that's to say is the reason that we do what we do is because we take it seriously why we're here. We're here for the patients. We're here for the for ourselves and our patients. In true uh, Ayn Rand formulation, you know, objectivism, we're here for ourselves first. And we're here for our patients as well. But we're not here for the damn insurance companies. We're not here for the damn government. And what I wanted to say, too, about uh, family medicine is... You know, family doctors are paid the least. I talked to a doctor one time when I was coming up, and I said, uh, I forgot what we were talking about. He's a radiologist, I think. And uh, I said, uh, yeah, as soon as when I was interviewing for med school, he was a radiologist. And I said, radiologists, you know, are paid a lot, whatever. I can't, I can't remember what brought it up. He goes, well, that didn't used to be the case. He said, when I was in school, when I was in training, he was a radiologist. He said, when I was in training, all the people at the bottom of the class were in radiology uh because no one wanted to do radiology you sit in a dark room you don't talk to anybody really you look at x-rays and mris all day it's kind of you know it's just it's just not really an awesome job really i said well that's interesting i said because right now it's like the best job to have he's you know it's the highest paid he's like yeah yeah that's that's true and he says the only thing has changed is they just changed the uh, remuneration so these if you work in an insurance practice if you work in there and there's in their world that being that of the government uh, run medical care, insurance run medical care, the cartel, you know, big health, big government, big insurance, all working together, all greasing each other's skids, all pretending like they're enemies in the front. And in the back, they're all, uh, you know, doing the, uh, you know, you know what they do anyway. I said, well, that's interesting because what happens is the insurance companies uh, re- reimburse, they call it reimburse doctors based upon some numbers that come out of the government somehow called RVUs. I don't even know what they're called anymore. But anyway, the government cooks up these numbers. They say, look, this is how much a dermatologist in Tampa should get reimbursed. And this is how much a dermatologist in uh, uh, Oklahoma should get reimbursed. And this is how much a radiologist in Tampa should get reimbursed. And this is how much a family doctor in Tampa gets reimbursed. Anyway, the numbers are all over the place. And they can just change those numbers arbitrarily. And they can also change how, how many doctors there are based on uh, residency slots. So this is another thing that's controlled by the government in, in a certain way through Medicare funding and all this other crap and the AMA. And it's just very convoluted. It's, it's a true cartel. If you think about it, it's like if you were to un, unwind it, it would take a Ph.D. to unwind all the different ways that they interact together. But the short of it is, is you can control how many ENTs there are in a community, ear, nose, throat doctors, otolaryngologists, just by limiting the supply of ENTs by limiting the supply of residencies. So you say, well, you know, we need, um, say we need 20 ENTs. This is supply and demand. Okay. So you say we need 20 ENTs in Tampa. Just pick that number. And they say, well, we're not going to have that many ENTs in Tampa. We're going to have uh, 15 ENTs in Tampa. And then when we do that, the, the, the price of ENTs uh, salaries will go up because of supply and demand, right? Okay, it makes sense. And then on the opposite end, what they do with family medicine is there's so many family medicine slots that they go unfilled every year. Residency slots go unfilled every year. And then they tell the, page, they tell the students when they're coming up, 
at least where I went to school, you don't want to be family medicine. They kind of discourage it. Family medicine is kind of the dumber people in the class. Kind of that's family medicine is where you go where you can't go anywhere else. And here's how you know that it's a sucky job because look how much they get paid. They're paid the worst because they suck because they're not as good. And uh, yeah, if you want to be a family doctor, so be it. But you know, better off to be an internist. Uh, better off to be some other specialist. And if you're an internist, then you can also subspecialize, become a cardiologist, whatever. So they kind of poo-poo the idea of primary care. Although, actually, when USF was founded, where I went to school, that's what that's what was founded on was like it was going to be a primary care hub and make primary care doctors. That's what they always sell it on when they do these new schools. The legislatures, they say, well, our focus will be primary care. They did the same thing with FSU. And they may still do that. They may still promote it. But at USF, they certainly don't. But anyway. I say our focus will be primary care. Anyway, that, that just goes by the wayside. But back to what I was saying about family doctors making the least amount of money is they make the least amount of money is because it's arbitrarily decided that they're going to make the least amount of money. All of these different groups, the government, the AAMA, the uh, insurance companies, they all get together and they decide we're going to pay uh, family doctors uh, the least. And we're also going to pay pediatricians the least. And then we'll, we'll pay the orthopedists the most and we'll pay um, we'll pay radiologists the most or something like that. And, it, and so you, that's how you get, that's how you get payments. And that's how you get people wanting to decide if they want to be a family doctor. Generally, not all the time. Obviously I chose to be it. I didn't want to be poor and I didn't want to make the least, but I chose to do family medicine nonetheless because I had all, I had different ideas about what I was going to do anyway. So, um, that's that's how they, they choose. And I was always tell people, I said, you know, they say, well, you know, family doctors don't make as much money. I said, that's true. And they said, well, that's, you know, maybe a family doctor is not a good thing to do. I said, well, you can change how many family doctors there would be tomorrow. You can make family doctors the number one uh, most important or I'm sorry, the most uh, highly sought after position tomorrow just by suddenly changing these, uh, changing these, uh, uh, reimbursement rates, just like they said, like I said, the radiologist told me before, he said, the radiologist used to be the in the bottom of the barrel. As far as the class is concerned, that's who went into radiology. He said the people who, who were not smart enough to be other doctors, essentially is what he was saying. And he said that, you know, it's changed overnight. Now it's the top of the class because they changed reimbursements and they could do that with family medicine. That's what makes the whole idea of that type of medicine, such BS. It's it's phony, baloney, plastic, banana, good time, rock and roll stuff, like Rush used to say. It's just BS. It's it's built on a, a nothing. It's not built on it's not built on the market. I always thought that if you were going to pay a doctor uh, based on their worth, okay, nothing against skin doctors, but skin doctors wouldn't make the most. The skin doctors make near the highest now, right? Yeah, I don't know if you know that, but that's the truth. Dermatologists are most some of the highest paid doctors, as far as let's say, is 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 carve out insurance world doctors versus non insurance world doctors. There's not a lot of non insurance world doctors. Um, concierge medicine's non insurance world if you do what I do, and then there's um, you know, there's um, uh, plastic surgeons non insurance. Then you have uh, hormone doctors. A lot of these guys are non insurance. To do pellets and things of that nature. So cosmetic doctors, whatever, you know, liposuction, that's a flout falls under plastic surgery. Although some family doctors do liposuction, interestingly enough. Anyway, so if you take the, just don't worry about the non-insurance doctors right now, because I'm talking about like people who are in the establishment 
uh, medicine, people who are in the establishment medicine, the people who do that, uh, dermatologists are among the most highest paid. Now, if we were to base it on supply and demand, I don't think, I mean, no offense if you're a skin doctor out there, a dermatologist, I don't think they would be the highest paid based upon supply and demand and market uh, market. Uh, um, what do you call it? Just, just how much they're worth market worth. The market would not say these people are worth the most. Okay. And they wouldn't say family doctors are either. So that's not, that's not what I'm trying to say, but I, I think what, who would be paid the most? Probably. I always thought that the hardest job and somebody actually, I forgot who told me this. I think it was a urologist. Yeah. Or maybe it was somebody, maybe it was somebody else. Anyway, the hardest job, the, the smartest doctor, he said, and I, and I agree with this looking back on it. And I think the smartest doctor is the general surgeon who also, you know, takes care of people in the hospital, basically. So the general surgeon who can do surgery on almost any part of the body and then also take care of most all medical issues having to do with surgery. Back in the old days, general surgeons did not want to ever consult medicine because that showed that they needed to have medicine on board. And uh, the surgeons that I worked around when I was uh, in training, a lot of them didn't want to do that. They did not want to consult medicine because they said, look, we can manage their blood pressure. You know, we're ICU doctors. We're managing blood pressure. We'll manage this. We don't need to consult medicine to come in and do that. And that's what you'll see in these metropolitan areas where, I mean, uh, the surgeons don't want to do anything but surgery. They'll consult for medicine. They'll con you know, for everything. But the ones I grew up with were when, I was, when I was in training in this academic setting, USF. A lot of the surgeons didn't want to do that. They would say, look, we're going to take care of the, we're going to take care of all the medicine. And that's what I think the smartest, most, uh, I think that the smartest doctor theoretically is the general surgeon. And if you're going to base pay, which you should do, I think on, uh, supply and demand and also base it upon their, um, what, whatever they're worth, then I think a general surgeon probably should be the highest paid doctor. Um, and then also these other surgeons, I think people who can go in and fix a brain, for instance, it should be paid a shit ton of money. People who can go in and fix a heart, people who can, especially like go fix a pediatric heart, little tiny heart, people who can cure cancer, things like that. Anyway, that's just a little bit about economics and medicine. I just <laughs> got off on a tangent, but I was just thinking, you know, the, this vet school versus medical school and how Madison chose the right way. I, so many of my friends are in medical medicine now. I'm not going to name names, but a lot of people wish they didn't do what they did. Why? Because it's just a pain in the ass. It's a pain in the ass. And what we did, the reason I did what I did is because I didn't want to deal with that. And that doesn't make me smarter or anything else. It just makes me, uh, it's just what I chose to do. I didn't want to deal with that. I didn't want to deal with the insurance. I didn't want to deal with all the headaches. And I knew I couldn't. I knew I couldn't. That's the main thing is that maybe it's my limitation. I knew I couldn't do it. Other people can do it. I can't. Okay. I can't do it. I couldn't deal with it. I couldn't suck it up. I couldn't do it. I could never work in that environment uh, with, uh, like I said, people telling you what to do, who are you're funding them and then the insurance companies. But it's the same reason that I didn't get vaccinated too, though. See, I'm not the one to go along with whoever tells me what I'm supposed to do. It's just my nature. And I, and I'm thinking, you're not going to tell me what to do. You're not going to tell me that it's important that I have all these little codes when I know it's not important. And you know, you're not going to tell me that I can't on a physical day also take care of someone's knee pain because why, because of your arbitrary rules that say I can't, that's just, no, I'm not doing it. 
like I said, it's the same reason I didn't get vaccinated. And the same reason I've always said all this, you know, stuff about these COVID, all this bull crap with Dr. Fauci and the circles and the mask and all the crap that he said was going to stop COVID. And, and then the thing that really pissed me off the most was I said, all right, our opinion is if you wear a mask, if you get vaccinated, if you stand in the Fauci circles, if you stay home, if you don't go see your family members, if you yeah, if you if you spend two years of your life away from your family, two years, you'll never get back, by the way. If you do all these things, it's like a religion. Do all these things, these sacrifices, then you'll have salvation. And your salvation will be that you won't get COVID. And your salvation will be that you won't spread COVID. But if you don't do these things, then you're going to do all of those things that we just said. So if you don't stay home and uh, isolate from seeing your family for two years, if you don't wear a mask everywhere, if you don't uh, get vaccinated, just as we told you, no matter what your reasonings for not getting the vaccine are, you are a bad person because you're spreading COVID. And you, it's like, it's like Joe Biden used to say, this is a... Um, uh, uh, epidemic of the unvaccinated. I want to hear his uh, old uh, discombobulated mouth say that one more time. I would just love to hear that. I would love to hear him also say uh, a breakthrough case and it's one in 5,000 chance to get. I want to hear him say that. I, I would like him to get more confused than usual and say that just one more time, just so we could laugh at him because a lot of people forgot that they said that. A lot of people forgot. I haven't forgot. I haven't forgot. But a lot of people forgot that. A lot of people said this is a uh, this is an epidemic of the unvaccinated, and uh, all you people out there who are unvaccinated, we're looking at you. You're selfish. You're greedy. You're killing grandma. And uh, if you just do what we say, it's all going to work out. And look how smart we are. We're vaccinated. I got four of them. Look at my look at those bandages on my arm. I got so many vaccines. I got more vaccines than anybody I know. And then you get COVID. And then, uh, then what do you say? Then what, what do you say then? Oh, well, at least I didn't die from COVID. Well, there's a story I just read. It's in the um, conservative review. Daniel Horowitz said that every, I think he said everyone recently, there was some period of time where they did it in Australia. Everyone who had died of COVID was vaccinated. And you might say, well, everyone's vaccinated in Australia. I don't know what the case is. But anyway, the point of it is, is you were, you were lied to. Uh, by saying that if you got the vaccine, that you wouldn't spread COVID. You were lied to when they said if you got the vaccine, you wouldn't get COVID. Uh, you were lied to when they said that in, if you, if you, you were lied to when they said that it's necessary that we mandate everyone get this, because if we do this, then the spread will stop. Then the epidemic will stop. And that's why we're forcing everyone to do this or lose your job or get kicked out of the military. It's like what they're still doing. Oh, well, this is an interesting thing. Switching gears. This is from the New York Post. So today is Friday, I think. Yep. Today, if you go buy a Mega Millions ticket, you will potentially make $1 billion. That is the that is the jackpot currently. $1 billion, if you can believe that. Interesting side note. I One time, I play lottery at the public's right down the street, right? Usually, I think 95% of the time I get my lottery ticket there. I get one lottery ticket a week. I get $3. I spend $3. I get power play, or I get, sorry, I get the Powerball or the Mega Millions, usually the Powerball. And I buy the uh, multiplier. So that's like a multiplier effect. If you actually win, you know, if you get three numbers, for instance, you'll get not only the three number, but whatever the multiplier is. So it could be like two, three, four, up to 10, I think. 
anyway, so I spend three dollars a week and I, I get a ticket and I've won over the course of I don't know two years since I've been doing this probably uh, less than a hundred dollars for sure maybe sixty dollars I've won so I'm in the hole whatever I think of it as a, a amount of money that I would have otherwise spent on some random tax okay you know a couple hundred bucks anyway so I bought a ticket one time not at Publix I bought it at Winn Dixie. And it just so happens that week, someone won the uh, Powerball at our Publix. And the Powerball was won, it was, I think it was $200 million. Huge amount of money. $200 million, something like that. And I told Tracy, I said, and it was, and it was that week I bought a uh, ticket at Winn-Dixie. And I told Tracy, I said, this is, this is my luck. I said, that was supposed to be my ticket. And it turns out the guy who won was here in Lutz, obviously, at my Publix, right? He was an Asian, okay? He was younger than me. He was in his 20s, I guess, because he hadn't gone to school yet. His plans were to become a doctor, and his name was Tom. So anyway, there goes my luck. But anyway, this is from New York Post. It says, Mega Millions Lottery Drawing. If you're to win, here's how to stay safe and secure. So this is like... For the guy who wins out there or, or lady who wins, this is what you're supposed to do. So number one, it says, beware of scams. Uh, some scammers falsely identify themselves as lottery employees and attempt to steal money from unsuspecting people. No representative of Mega Millions will ever call, text, or email you about winning a prize. Could you imagine if someone actually answered the, some call about you know your ticket and they're like, come, come, come give me the ticket and we're going to check it out, make sure it's legit, and they got your ticket. That's a billion dollars. So... A lot of money. Number two, get professional advice. Uh, put together a team of financial experts. Yeah, I think uh, that's probably a smart thing to do. Uh, so they talk about doing CPAs, financial advisors. Number three, keep the ticket safe. This is the most important one. And this is, you should make, quote, several copies of the winning ticket, according to State Farm. I guess State Farm's who gave this advice on this column. These copies can be shown to lawyers or accountants while the original ticket remains stored in a personal safe or bank deposit box. Uh, it says in some cases signing your ticket might prevent you from cause creating a blind trust later. Oh, it says don't sign your ticket. I guess they say war state farm warns that lottery winners should read each game's rules and contract before signing their ticket. Okay. Cause they're talking about that you could make a blind trust later. So you could become anonymous. I think that's not the case though in Florida. I think that the law is that in order to get your ticket at Florida and in- the Florida lottery, that it has to be made public for them for marketing reasons. Protect your privacy. Lottery winners should keep their winnings private before they turn in a ticket. State Farm advises, and they talk about setting up a blind trust. Um, yeah, I would definitely not tell anybody. Uh, not tell anybody. I would tell maybe my wife, and that's it. I don't think I'd tell the kids. I wouldn't tell anybody. I would uh, not do that until after the fact. Keep the keep the ticket safe back to that point of two is I think I would uh, drive to the place in Tallahassee in like an armored car or somehow or another rent an armored car and drive it there. Or I don't know how I'd do it, but just be careful, create a plan for the money. Uh, they say, you know, write down your personal financial lifestyle and charity goals. Yeah. I think that was, uh, that would be the most fun part create a plan for the money. And, uh, hopefully, um, I think what part of the problem when people win the lottery is that probably their life becomes turned upside down and it just is probably 
probably is a, a probably life changing event for the for the worse if you want a big one like this. Put off big decisions. Uh, I can guarantee you guys. I, it says instead of choosing early retirement and making some other dramatic move, if I win this, there's ch good chance I'm retiring. And that's retiring from podcasting too, probably. And question whether you take a lump sum. I definitely would take a lump sum. I am not trusting anybody to pay me over 20 years. No way. Florida News. Washington Times Florida Christian School sues Biden Nikki Freed over gender identity mandate for lunches. A Florida Christian Academy filed lawsuit Wednesday over the threat of losing school lunch funding for low-income students unless it complies with the Biden administration's gender identity policy on pronouns, sports, and restrooms. Good God Almighty, what in the hell are we going to do with our, our country? Recession is official now. Two, two, two quarters in a row of negative growth. We have a recession. Despite what CNN tries to spend, despite what uh, New York Times tries to spend, despite what Politico tries to spend, despite what the Daily Beast has to spend, it is, it is a recession. And what are we doing? Uh, Biden administration is trying to take away school lunch funding unless you use the right damn pronouns. God help us. Like Ted Cruz says, my pronouns are kiss my ass. I think the that would make a good shirt. My pronouns are kiss my ass. My pronouns are uh, get a life. All righty. Redstate.com. More than 50 members of Congress demand Biden take a cognitive test. But what if he fails? It says uh, the letter points to this is a letter that was written and signed by 50 members of Congress. And Dr. Ronnie Jackson was the one who basically was the head of the letter. He was the former White House physician in charge uh, under Bush, under Obama, and under, um, I think those two. And I think it's it, Bush and Obama. Anyway, he says that, uh, it says in this letter that this is data that they point to. It says 66% of voters believe you should take a cognitive test. He's writing to Obama. 56% says you're not confident you're physically or mentally, you're not confident you're physically or mentally fit. Uh, representing a 29-point change from October 2020. 64% believe you have shown signs that you're too old to execute, execute duties of the president, including 60% of respondents age 65 and older. So uh, presumably they would know. 33% of voters approve of the job you've done as president. Uh, and it says uh, Ronnie Jackson pushed a, aside... Uh, no, uh, push aside previous pleas uh, that they were uh, partisan in nature. He said that the left-leaning New York Times recently published an article outlining all this in great deal, a great detail. According to the Times, the increased scrutiny surrounding your cognitive state has been fueled by your recent public appearances during which you shuffle your feet when you walk, often slur your words, lose your train of thought, have trouble summoning names, and appear momentarily confused. All this was exemplified during your most recent trip to the Middle East, where you claimed that we must keep alive the truth and honor of the Holocaust, among other things. This is actually true, and it's really a sign that our media has failed their jobs. Uh... The media has failed a number of ways. Media is a continued failure. One of the ways that media has failed is they failed to be honest with American people about what's wrong with Joe Biden. Uh, you do not have to look very far to find the people, the same people now who are saying that Joe Biden's completely well. We're saying that Donald Trump had problems because he couldn't walk down a slippery ramp, slippery ramp 
with leather shoes and he had to use the handrail and they said that's a sign that he's needs a 25th amendment uh called into question because he's incompetent so that's one way that the the media is, is suspect and um, and cog- and uh, corrupt the other thing is is this back to this recession thing is if donald trump were president and there were two quarters of negative growth there would be absolutely no question at all that we're in a recession if you're out there and you actually think that the media is somehow not corrupt, meaning they are not taking sides, they are they are not an objective empire just calling balls and strikes. If you if you're one of the few people out there who still believe that the media is for the most part objective, just ask yourself that question. If if this was Trump in this situation, there's two quarters of negative growth, which is the historic definition of what a recession is. If that was the case and it happened under Trump, would there be any mention at all amongst these legacy media outlets that we're not in a recession? And if you answer that uh, honestly, then you'll know that the media is corrupt. Okay. They just passed this bill now after the uh, the recession was no was, okay the day of the recession they announced a spending spree of 700 700 billion green new deal spending spree it says here is gateway pundit joe manchin suddenly supports a 700 billion dollar green new deal spending spree funded by new tax hikes as inflation hits 40 year highs so the same day that they announced no they reached they announced it the day before okay on wednesday so on Wednesday, Manchin announced he has reached a deal with Senate Democratic leader Chuck Schumer on domestic spending bill, including energy programs and tax policy changes. So what they're doing, uh, they are investing in uh, climate change. They're going to fix climate change through whatever. The government is going to fix climate change, as you know, that is likely to happen, right? And they're going to do it by uh, increasing taxes on wealthy individuals and corporations. Okay, so they're going to raise taxes on corporations and wealthy individuals. Well, we know that wealthy individuals really don't pay taxes. Um, they get paid through different ways. They don't have income. They, they, they get paid in ways that they're not going to be hit by this. So that's just uh, eye candy for those who are foolish enough to believe that wealthy individuals are going to take a hit. And then corporations, it depends on what corporation you are. There are some corporations that are going to have their taxes raised, and those corporations will in turn raise the prices on their consumers. There are some corporations who won't have their taxes raised, such as the ones who are getting paid by this thing for Green New Deal stuff. So if you're the right ESG, uh, environmental social governance score, then you're probably not going to pay higher taxes either way. But what it is going to do is make inflation worse which is what Joe Manchin was lauded for before was because he stood up to these guys because he said, look, uh, if we spend more money, we already have inflation. We spend more money. It's going to make inflation worse. We're going to put more money in the market when there's uh, too many dollars there already, which has caused inflation through through printing of money through government action. We've, we've put more money in the uh, in the market caused inflation. And now they're going to spend more money, 700 billion dollars more. And that's not going to cause inflation, apparently. They wanted $5 trillion before. If they did that, we'd probably be at Zimbabwe-level inflation by now, instead of what we're at. You know, that's 9% that they say is complete horse crap. You know that. Look at, look at the price of anything. If you shop, if you shop and you look at the price of your food that's gone up, I mean, 
it's it's not gone up nine percent. I can tell you that. In many in many cases, it's gone up at least, if not a hundred percent, at least fifty percent. But many times, it's gone up a hundred percent, fifty to a hundred percent. That is a hell of a lot of inflation, and that is just the beginning because we are now beginning the recession, and. It's going to be uncharted territory for us, I think, at least in our lifetime, in my lifetime, it's going to be uncharted territory because this isn't no normal recession. This isn't a recession where, uh, you know, it's going to be a, a few quarters or maybe a year, then back to normal because they're going off the cliff so rapidly with their agenda of spending, spending, spending that it's just going to uh, the things they're doing are making things worse. Here's this other thing they're doing. This is Horowitz from the blaze mcconnell helps dems push 280 billion dollar big tech corporate welfare bill schumer betrays him in return so it says so what happened was mcconnell promised to uh hold up on this bill i'm sorry mcconnell offered to support this bill for this corporate welfare with 17 other republicans to to bail out chip manufacturers which like we said before is like oh they're the poorest companies out there right intel you know, they really need our money. Intel just can't make it without us. Anyway, so 17 other Republicans plus McConnell voted for this uh, bailout for the big tech corporate bill. And then in return, McConnell said that he wanted to make sure that they weren't going to use uh, reconciliation to ram through any other spending bills. Okay. Reconciliation is this thing where they don't have to use a filibuster. They can get by with doing 50, 50 plus 51 votes passes it. And with a 50-50 Senate, uh, Kamala Harris is the, the 51st vote. Anyway, they said that they were going to allow that. Uh, he was going to vote for this bill so long as they didn't use reconciliation. Well, guess what? They used reconciliation. And uh, McConnell got punked, which is not surprising because McConnell is he's a he needs to go. He's a... The guy has no political instincts that are conservative to begin with. And plus now he's getting punked by this easily to easy to see that they would have done this to him. But I think in the end, though, he really didn't get punked. I think that's what's put out there for us to um, to um, consume, because that's what they want us to think. They want us to think that McConnell's really he really got he really got screwed over. and He's really a conservative at heart and he's really mad about reconciliation. I think McConnell wants the bill to pass and he wants the reconciliation green new deal stuff to pass this is just a way for people who are senators who say they vote for mcconnell support mcconnell can still say we support mcconnell because he's truly a conservative or at least he's a republican and he, he just got uh he just got uh wool pulled over his eyes and it's not the case that that he's really uh for all of this big spending when he actually is well, that's it for this week. I hope you all enjoyed it. Go to drtommy.com slash podcast, and then you can follow us. And if you're listening, please share it because it helps. And this is an independent podcast, so we appreciate any help we can get. Until next week, bye-bye. 